Hello and welcome to Employment Law Matters. That was an interesting weekend with the King's coronation. I can't imagine who might be upset about it, but if anyone has a grievance, well, this is the episode to listen to. We're on Season 6, Episode 7, and it's the 9th of May 2023. I'm Barrister Daniel Barnett, a member of Outer Temple Chambers, presenter of The Legal Hour on LBC Radio, and founder of the HR Inner Circle. In this season, I'm picking my favourite dozen episodes from the series of 30 employment law webinars I hosted in 2021, where a leading employment lawyer answered questions over Zoom from hundreds of solicitors and HR professionals. I've not only picked my favourite dozen episodes, but I've selected the best half dozen questions and answers from each of those episodes for you to listen to now. This week, we're looking at grievances in the workplace. I'm playing extracts from a webinar I did with Darren Newman. The things you'll hear include how to deal with employees raising multiple grievances, the interaction between grievance and disciplinary procedures, and dealing with grievances from an ex-employee. Before turning to Darren, a big thank you to the two sponsors for this season whose support for this podcast makes it possible for us to create, record, edit and host Employment Law Matters and so makes it possible for you to discover more about all things employment and HR law. So a shout out and a huge thank you to Breeden Consulting and to Radar. You'll hear more about them later in the episode. And if you're interested in sponsoring the next season of Employment Law Matters coming up this autumn, you can find out a bit more at go.danielbarnett.com go.danielbarnett.com slash sponsor. Grievances. Darren Newman is an employment law specialist who learned the subject writing for IDS Brief. He then became head of employment law and social affairs for the CIA. No, not that one. The Chemical Industries Association. And he now provides training, commentary and analysis for large public sector organisations, as well as a variety of private companies, including the HR Inner Circle. He regularly hosts our online Q&A sessions, and he's a consultant editor for Expert HR. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. Let's start with a couple of questions from me, if I may. Um, First of all, how do you deal with an employee who persistently raises grievances over the same or similar issues? Um, Well, carefully, patiently, but efficiently, I I, I think. I, I think the first thing to stress when dealing with grievances is there's actually rather less law on this than lots of people think. It's not like a disciplinary process where you're potentially going to dismiss someone and you've got unfair dismissal rights and you've got to demonstrate that you've done something in a fair way to defend yourself against that sort of claim. There isn't that much law about what a grievance procedure has to contain. So we know that the written statement of terms and conditions has to say you have, it's got to give you a note that tells you who to speak to if you've got a grievance and tell you what the procedure is. There's no cast code of practice that sets out a fair approach to grievances, which is very light and really just tells you that you've got to have a meeting with the employee and possibly adjourn for an investigation, but have a meeting, a determination and a right to appeal. 
And of course, there's a contractual right to have your grievances addressed. But none of that necessarily means you've got to have a very detailed, very time consuming grievance procedure. So hopefully, if your grievance procedure that you have is relatively flexible, you can deal with serial grievances relatively quickly, simply by going straight to the grievance meeting. So if someone is raising a grievance that is incredibly similar to a grievance they've already raised and has already been dealt with, then just arrange a meeting with them and have a meeting, listen to what they have to say, decide what you're going to do. If they've raised something that that makes you concerned, then by all means, have an investigation. But if what they're saying is essentially something you think has already been dealt with, then say that. Tell them that's the outcome. Tell them they've got a right to appeal. I don't see why that should be a particularly difficult or time-consuming thing to do. It becomes more tricky if you've got a very cumbersome, inflexible grievance procedure that requires you to launch an investigation as soon as any grievance is raised. And my advice is not to have one of those procedures. But if, if you do, then, you know, by and large, you're going to have to follow the procedure you've got. Another question. Can you discipline an employee if you think that their grievance was malicious? Well, the problem is think, isn't it? Um, I think certainly raising a malicious grievance, most employers would regard that as misconduct, quite potentially gross misconduct. And I think that's fair enough. Your problem is demonstrating that it's a malicious grievance. And your problem is identifying the difference between a grievance that is wholly mistaken possibly irrational, um, wholly unreasonable in, in what it's asserting, and one that is actually malicious, because that's to do with the motivation of the employee. And you've got to get inside the head of the employee and figure out why they've raised this grievance. And that's a very difficult thing to do. And the risk that you face is a large number of grievances will be concerned with discrimination issues, or they might be making an allegation about the employer that will amount to a public interest disclosure, whistleblowing. And if they do, then any detriment that you subject somebody to as a result of raising that grievance is going to be either victimization or it's going to be an unlawful detriment under under the whistleblowing provisions. So the risk that you're facing of disciplining someone who's making a malicious allegation is potentially quite a valuable claim. So you've got to make sure that you're right, right? It's not going to be good enough to show that you reasonably think that this is a malicious allegation, you're going to have to persuade the tribunal that in fact it is a malicious allegation. And in the case of victimization, you're also going to have to persuade the tribunal that it's a false allegation, because it's perfectly possible that you can allege something that's true, but you allege it in bad faith. That in itself won't be enough to protect you against the victimization claim. So by and large, my advice to employers is unless it's a really stark claim, unless You've got it absolutely slam dunk. There's an email somewhere that says, I'm going to raise this malicious allegation. Ha, ha, ha. This is going to cause massive inconvenience for them. Unless it's pretty much that clear, I wouldn't go down that route. I'd concentrate on dealing with the grievance as efficiently and quickly as I can and moving on. I think that's normally the best thing. Breeden Consulting provides small and medium businesses with the breadth of HR support usually enjoyed by large corporates. So if you want practical and commercially focused HR support, or if you're an HR professional looking for an opportunity to capitalise on your experience by joining a great team, visit www 
Consulting. That's B-R-E-E-D-O-N, BreedonConsulting.co.uk. What happens if an employee raises a grievance in the context of a disciplinary or performance management process? Have you got to put things on hold until the grievance is dealt with? Not generally, I would say. And again, this is one of those issues that became a really tortured issue during the currency of the statutory dispute resolution procedures. Um, and the ACAS code of practice agonised rather over exactly what you would do. And we all spent quite a lot of time trying to figure out how you could comply with, with both procedures you had to comply with. Now that they've gone, I think the employer is free to deal with the issues in the way that best deals with the issues. So you have to look at the substance of the issues that you're dealing with and figure out what is the fairest way of dealing with them. What is the way that best limits my risk in terms of employment law? If you're going through a process of discipline or grievance, I think generally speaking, it's better to get that process done. It's better to progress the disciplinary and grievance, uh, disciplinary or performance issue, and then deal with the grievance afterwards. And very often the, the thing that the grievance is concerned about, even if it's connected to the disciplinary, can best be dealt with in the disciplinary. So if, for example, you're saying, well, the reason I did that is because I'm massively overworked and I'm very stressed. And as a result, my, my, there was a lapse in my judgment. Well, that's a relevant factor for the disciplinary to take into account. So it seems to me the most efficient way of dealing with that issue is to have the employee make that point in the disciplinary hearing and the employer can then take it into account. Where I'd be more careful is if there's something about the grievance that calls into question your ability to have a fair disciplinary process. So if, for example, the grievance is the person you've appointed to investigate this has been bullying me for the past two years and hates me, well, that's going to throw into doubt the reasonableness of the investigation. And I would then want to look at whether there is substance to that grievance that makes me either want to change the investigator and get someone else to investigate it and then deal with the grievance later, or deal with the grievance first if that doesn't seem to be an option. But the priority should be, how can we best progress these things? You don't want to create a situation in which there's an incentive for someone facing a gross misconduct charge where they're going to get dismissed at the end of it. If you create a mechanism whereby they can extend their suspension for another three months while you investigate their grievance, well, people are going to take that opportunity. So you don't want that to be an obvious option that people can take. Especially if they're on full pay, as they usually will be in that situation. Ab absolutely. And if they're suspended, um, you really do need something contractual if they're going to be suspended and not on full pay. And AJ, good morning. You ask, where grievance of bullying and harassment against a senior manager is not upheld, mm -hmm. and the complainant then refuses to work with the manager and also declines the offer of mediation or redeployment, what are the options? Can the employer move the complainant or would this be a constructive dismissal? Right. So, it's, I mean, it sounds to me that if, you, if you're if you in that situation, you're very, very likely to be staring down the barrel of an employment tribunal claim as it is. If you've got someone who is, if you've investigated it and you are confident that bullying and harassment is not is not made out, so you would then be confident that it is a reasonable instruction to tell this employee to continue to work with this manager. You've got an employee who then refuses to do that. 
and you want to then engage with them, because that would certainly be the next thing I'd advise. I'd say, well, engage with the employee and see if you can find a way to deal with the problem. So there may be an offer of, of mediation. You may discuss redeployment with them and try to think, well, okay, we understand you've had a falling out with this manager. Perhaps you can work somewhere else. And if you're prepared to consider that and you offer that and the employee simply says no, well, what is it the employee is actually asking for in those circumstances? They insist on not moving, um, but they insist on not working with this manager. I don't think an employee can reasonably require you to move the manager when you've done your investigation and decided that there's no claim made out. So in those circumstances, you've got an employee refusing to work. And I think if you really have tried to engage with them and find an alternative solution and they've refused to do that, then I think there is a natural consequence to somebody refusing to work, which is that you go down a disciplinary route and you end up dismissing them for it. Um, whether you dismiss them for gross misconduct, I'd probably say you then end up giving notice and you'd say, well, it's a breakdown in relationship. You know, so we'd categorize it as some other substantial reason. We'd say it's about the breakdown in the relationship. The fact is there's no workable relationship here because the employee is refusing to work with this person and refusing to consider alternatives. So we have no choice but to go down the dismissal route. And I think that's probably what you're stuck with. It's not risk-free, but I genuinely can't think of anything else you can do. Jason Breyer has posted on Twitter, so not in the chat box, but he seems to be watching this live. It's good to see a webinar from somebody who has a traditional old set hard copy of Harvey directly behind their head. Do you know, people, are, Jason is probably being ironic and, and, and mocking me about that. But the thing about having a hard copy of, of Harvey, that's the blue one behind me, is I own that. So if I, st I don't have a subscription that I've got to pay every year and they can take it away from me, I've got that for as long as I want it. I think it was a smart move. They were quite surprised when I insisted on a hard copy, I have to say. And it doesn't fit in the files anymore, so I don't think they print very many of them. I didn't know they still did hard copy at all, actually. There you go. You've got to, really, you've got to ask for it specially. Uh, question from Heidi Laybourne. Hello, Heidi. Heidi asks, should we consider a grievance that's submitted after an employee has left? Well... I'm going to really try not to say it depends on the circumstances. I think I'd, I would want to look at the substance of the grievance, right? Generally speaking, I would say a grievance that's submitted literally after someone's left, so not in the course of them leaving, and it might be slightly different if it's in the context of a resignation letter, but if it's something where someone has left and is now raising a grievance, I would say, generally speaking, no, um, a grievance is about an internal dispute between an employee and an employer. And it's about resolving the employment relationship. And if there isn't an employment relationship, there's nothing to resolve. However, it might be that the substance of the grievance that they raise makes you think, uh oh, that's something we need to look at, right? They might tell you something that would genuinely be a useful thing for you to look at. And so it would be a good idea to talk to the employee about what happened and a good idea to investigate it. It might also give you a heads up that there's a potential dispute on the horizon and that there's potentially going to be a claim. So you might want to look at that and you might judge that the best way of forestalling that is to talk to the employee about it and, and take it seriously and say, we're very sorry that you're unhappy about this. We appreciate you don't work for us anymore, but we'd like to make sure that we don't make if, if we've done something wrong. We'd like to make sure that we don't do that in the future. So if you can tell us about it, that would be really helpful. And I think if you take that positive attitude with it, that might help the employee feel that they've resolved something as a result of their following their resignation. So I wouldn't rule out 
investigating a grievance after it, if it's raised after after somebody's left. I don't think there's a legal obligation per se to. The, the query that people would have is, if you don't follow that as a grievance and they win a tribunal claim, do they get the uplift with the ACAS code of practice? And I think the answer is still we don't know. The only case I've ever seen about it was a one involving, it's a case called Children's Wear. Let's see how quickly they can get that link up from 2019 that seemed to accept an uplift for failure to follow a grievance procedure when the grievance was raised after the resignation. But if you pick that case apart, it's not quite that clear. It was both a grievance and an appeal against dismissal. So that's a slightly different thing. And the appeal wasn't concerned with whether you could have the uplift. The other thing to remember, don't want to go on about it, but the other thing to remember is you only get the uplift if you've unreasonably failed to follow the grievance procedure. So you would have to show that it was actually unreasonable of the employer not to follow the grievance procedure. And I think in many circumstances, it would be reasonable for the employer to say, well, you know what, what would be the point they've already left? Um, so there's nothing to resolve. But um, always look at the substance and, and address the substance rather than worry about whether you're strictly legally obliged to do it. Radar is a specialist commercial and litigation law firm dedicated to helping businesses navigate their risk, including employment issues. Radar's legal expertise and innovative digital tools focus on educating businesses before problems happen. Book your free 30-minute employment and HR consultation today or subscribe to their monthly newsletter at Radar, that's R-R-A-D-A-R, radar.com slash employment. Sue Apps has asked, morning Sue, in practice, what proportion of grievances do you find actually resolve an issue for the better? There's always a concern when advising an employee that raising a grievance will mean the writing's on the wall and the relationship will ultimately end. I, I, I think it, it, it's a really powerful point to, to have made this late after I've been talking about grievances for so long. We haven't actually discussed, <laughs> are, they, are they a good thing or are they rubbish? Um, and I, and I, They have their place, um, grievances. They are sometimes the only way you can formally close off an issue and make sure that you have you have dealt with it. I don't think that they are in general a good way of resolving workplace conflict. I don't think that they generally result in everyone feeling happy that the situation has been resolved now. And I would certainly advise an employer to have other tools at its disposal for resolving conflict rather than the grievance procedure. And this is particularly the case where you have inter-employee grievances, right? So it's one thing if you're raising a grievance about the fact that you didn't get a bonus last year or the way in which the performance appraisal system works or the resources that you've got, because those are things the employer can control. It's also okay if you're raising a grievance about a manager because the manager is acting on behalf of the employer. But if you're raising a grievance about the person who sits next to you and how mean they are to you in the morning, I'm not sure it's helpful to have a grievance process as a sort of people's court adjudicating between two people who don't get on. Right. I don't think I don't think it ever helps that situation. And in those circumstances, it's better to have whether it's mediation or whether it's some other form of conflict management or whether it's counselling or whether it's just a friendly chat with a manager who can help soothe, soothe things over. I think those are better ways of dealing with, with the conflict. But 
I don't think there's any getting away from the fact that you have to have something that looks like a grievance procedure for some of the things that that, that people will raise concerns about. But it's it's a it's a very valid point, and I'd, I'd have to say the proportion that actually resolve it are relatively small. I'm always a little uh, sceptical as well, Darren Newman, about mediations between employees who don't get on uh, or, or some form of training for the manager, because although what inevitably comes out of a mediation or a clear the air meeting is that the two parties agree to draw a line in the sand and mm. move on with life, the next time that one of them blinks at the other one the wrong way or fails to say good morning in a kind enough tone, the whole thing kicks off again. And all it does is kick the problem six weeks down the line. I think it can certainly be true. And it is it is remarkable how many mediation outcomes have, we'll say good morning to each other nicely as one of the first things in, in the sort of agreement. There's the research that's been done that I've, I've seen, and a lot of it comes out of Sheffield. Paul Latre in, in Sheffield has done a lot of good research on this. I think is very optimistic about the initial results of grievances of uh, mediation as coming up with some sort of resolution. But I think there's a gap in the research about the long-term impact of it. So you, you have a, a mediation that resolves an issue. Is that issue still resolved a year from now? I think there's less research as to whether that's, that's true or not. So, so Daniel, I think your point might well be, might well be right about that. That was Darren Newman. Good, wasn't he? Join me next Tuesday, 16th of May, and I'll be bringing you highlights from my webinar with Imogen Egan, in which she answers questions on conduct dismissals. Also, do remember that if you're interested in sponsoring the next season of this podcast, Employment Law Matters, you can find out more at go.danielbarnett.com slash sponsor. Thank you again to this season's sponsors, Breeding Consulting and Radar. You can see more about them in the show notes. Thank you for listening. I'm Daniel Barnett. Stay safe. Any information on this podcast is for general guidance only. Always seek legal advice. Please see full terms at www.danielbarnett.co.uk forward slash podcast terms.